Thank you for tuning in today at Propel Church. Whether you're watching through YouTube or listening through a podcast, we want to say thank you. Our hope at Propel is that you would be propelled into an authentic relationship with Jesus. From wherever you are tuning in, we hope that you are encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Are you excited to celebrate six years? Whoo, man, I tell you what, um, this is September 19th, and so six years ago on September 19th, uh, it was the day before we were going to start Propelled Church, and I looked at Tori and I said, girl, I don't know how many people are going to show up to church tomorrow, but no matter where or how many people show up, it's the starting place for us. And uh, I am so grateful for every single one of you here, and uh, we're here to celebrate all that God's done today. And it wouldn't be a birthday party uh, without gifts. And so I want you to do me a favor. Uh, right now, you're going to see some Dream Team members coming down. We've got a gift for every single person that's here. So come on, can we just, yeah. They're going to pass you out. Uh, they're going to give you a journal. It's got a pen in it. And uh, the reason why we're, it's, it's a twofold gift because, uh, you know, I always tell you to take notes. And so we're never going to ask you to do anything. We don't give you the resources to, uh, to do. So you're going to get to take great notes today and you've got a journal now. And uh, man, I'm excited because when Tori and I started Propel Church six years ago, the whole heart uh, behind it was to create a place where no matter who you are or no matter what you've been through in life, you could come to church and you could belong, that you could feel like there was a place for you, that you had a spot in God's house. And so if you're a first-time guest with us today, we are honored that you chose to be here this morning. We believe that God has you here for a reason, and I'm super excited you're here. Church, could you do me a favor? Help me welcome every first-time guest. Come on, come on. And if you're tuning in online with us today, we are super pumped for you as well and believe God has some great things in store. I want to deliver a message to you today called For Us and Them. And as I was thinking about what to talk about with you on six year, I've been trying to put language to something that's really been like agitating my spirit that like I've observed uh, really since a little before COVID, but COVID didn't uh, create the worst. It just exposed the worst, right? Like, like when, whenever you get squeezed, what's in you comes out of you. And I think a lot of us realized that there was some stuff in us that really wasn't uh, as godly as it should be. And we saw some things come out of other people. And when I'm looking at our world, we live in a world that is incredibly divided. It's divisive. We spend a lot of time arguing on social media about all of our differences. And in this world we live in, it's easy to get caught up and think that we're the only ones that live divided. But if we look back at history, we see that division is all throughout history. And it's not only all throughout history, it, division actually begins in Scripture. Because God's word gives us the tools that you and I need even today to overcome every obstacle that we face. And when we look back and see division and divisiveness, we can look back into the Old Testament and some of the earliest examples of that come from the Jews and the Gentiles. They come from these people who were called the 12 tribes of Israel and they wanted to enter into the promised land that God had for them. 
But the promised land was occupied by what was known as the seven nations of Cana. So you've got these 12 tribes of Israel and these seven nations of Cana. You've got these Jewish people who believe that they are God's chosen people, and they are. And then you've got these Gentiles. You've got this other group of people. And it was this back and forth battle between us and them. And so I want to take you to Scripture today because I believe that God has an incredible word for us. I'm going to walk you through like four chapters of the book of Mark, and I have 30 minutes and 49 seconds to do so. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells a story. of It's called the parable of the mustard seed. And he's talking about how if you and I have just a little bit of faith, if we have such a, a small seed of faith, it can grow into something that is so big and incredible. And then it enters into this passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, where Jesus says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Now, when we get into the New Testament and we read this, if we read this too quickly or we don't look at a geography, geographical map. Yeah, there we go. Come on. I earned every C I ever got. So when you look at the map, you'll notice that in this, in Mark chapter four, they are in a primarily Jewish region. When they go to the other side of the lake, it's not a Jewish region anymore. This was a region that was filled with Gentile people. And so we see, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake But what the disciples experienced was something totally different. What they're hearing Jesus say is, we're going to the other side of the lake. And the disciples would be like, no, Jesus, we don't go to those people. Like, we don't, they're different than us. They're not a part of the family of God. They're not God's chosen people. Those people are too far off. Those people, no, we don't associate with them and what Jesus is actually inviting them into is to leave the comfort and the safety of the Jewish region, even though that's not going to be very safe for Jesus later, to go into the slums. He's saying, let's leave the five-star resort, let's leave the comfort and the safety of this area, and let's go to where nobody's going. Let's do what nobody's doing. And they cross the sea. And when they get across the sea, the disciples' worst nightmare becomes a reality. They leave this Jewish region where everybody's accepting miracles. They've come out of this time where people are sitting and listening to Jesus talk. And as soon as they cross the lake, Mark chapter 5 tells us that they encounter a demon-possessed guy in the middle of a graveyard. And the disciples are kind of like, this is why we didn't want to come. (laughs) Those people are crazy. Those people have problems. Those people are so different than us. But don't forget, Jesus has just come out of teaching them, it only takes a small bit of faith. It only takes a mustard seed. It only takes one person to encounter Jesus to change an entire region. And what Jesus is really showing us in Mark chapter 5 today is that if you feel stuck or you feel broken or you feel like you're in a place where everybody else has left you and discarded you, there is hope for you because Jesus shows up on the shore. The good news is that God is not 
far from the brokenness. He's right in the middle of it. He gets down into the mess and the disciples are all freaking out. But Jesus walks up to this demon-possessed guy and he sets him free. He delivers him. And this guy has an encounter with Jesus, and it changes him so drastically that the townspeople that had once abandoned him now don't even know what to do with him. And they're like, Jesus, you need to leave. So what they do is they have a conversation, and they say, Jesus, you need to leave. Jesus agrees to leave, but the demon-possessed guy wants to go with Jesus. Jesus says, you can't go with me. Instead, I want you to go home and tell everyone the great things that the Lord has done for you. And the scripture says they got back into the boat and they crossed the lake again. And when they cross the lake, they've left the Gentile region, they go back into this Jewish region, and then this is where in Mark chapter six, we see the story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. Jesus is having a, he's just preaching long that day, and the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, the people are hungry. I think the disciples are ready to go home, right? Have you ever been in an event and you're like, hey, I think everybody's ready to leave? And they're not, you are, right? So <laughs> supper's like, Jesus, we need to feed these people uh, or we need to send them home because we can't feed them. And Jesus says, no, you feed them. What do you have? And they had some fish and some bread and they, Jesus gets the fish and the bread and he takes it, he breaks it, he multiplies it. And then they feed 5,000 people. And this is what it says at the end of the feeding of the 5,000. It says they ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Immediately after this, he, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent some people home. So Jesus does this miracle. They feed 5,000 people. How many baskets of leftovers did they have? 12. Okay, 9 a.m. Let's go back one verse. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I should have highlighted it. That was my fault. They had 12 baskets of leftovers. If you're taking notes, that's going to be important in just a second. They had 12 baskets of leftovers, and all of them were fed. But then after they get done with the miracle, Jesus says, let's get back into the boat and cross the lake. Now, if you follow through the book of Mark, you're going to realize the disciples don't like crossing the lake for a number of reasons, but it also seems that every time the disciples cross the lake, they end up in the middle of a storm. <laughs> because oftentimes when you're on track towards accomplishing your purpose, you're going to encounter some things that look like detours, but they're not detours. They're moments of development. So they cross the lake and they get to the other side. And when they get to the other side of the lake this time, this was the region that they were kicked out of when Jesus set the guy free in Mark chapter 5. But now the people are welcoming him. They hear that Jesus is in town and they're showing up to listen to him teach. And the only thing that we know 
that's changed is the fact that there was one guy who was demon-possessed that started going into all the towns, and he would tell people about the great things that the Lord had done in his life and how merciful and gracious he was. And he went from door to door, and he said, do you see these scars on my hands? I used to cut myself. I used to hurt myself. I used to be stuck in bondage and brokenness. But Jesus came, and he set me free. He changed my life. And now, when they, when they come back to the other side, they're not being pushed away. They're being embraced all because the story of one person. Can I tell you that God wants to use your story? That God wants to take the mess that you've experienced in your life and redeem it for his purpose? That every single thing you've been through wasn't wasted, but God can use it for his good? And maybe your story, maybe the thing that you need to realize is that the purpose of your life is not to tell people how wrong they live, but to get them ready so that when Jesus shows up, they embrace him. All because they encountered you. That's Mark chapter 5 and Mark chapter 6. And that's Mark chapter 7. They go back across the lake and then they're so excited Jesus is there. And only 4,000 people showed up. Now, the last time it was 5,000. If you read the stories too close together, you're going to be like, didn't we just do this miracle? It's different. And I'm going to show you why. Mark chapter 8, verse 8. Jesus has fed 4,000 people. And it says that they all ate as much as they wanted. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftovers. Turn to somebody and say seven. How many did he do in the first miracle? Second miracle, he did seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day, and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Then the disciples begin to argue, and they're having conversations. You go a few verses down to Mark chapter 8, verse 18. It says this, you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? 12, they said. And when I fed 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asked. And when I was reading through this, I was confused. (laughs) You ever been there? You're like, hey, Cool, we did 12 in one miracle. We did seven in another. Why is that important? Well, because what Jesus is trying to communicate to to the disciples is that he is enough for the 12 nations of Israel and the seven nations of Cana. That he is a God who is for us and for them at the same time. These Jewish people grew up thinking that God is only for us. But God is not just for us. God is not just for you. He is for us and for them, whoever they are. God is for us and them. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down that God is enough for us and for them. The good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God is enough for the Republican and for the Democrat. 
that God is enough for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. He is enough for those who wear a mask and those who don't. He is enough for the rich and enough for the poor. God is enough for those who feel like they have it all together and those who are still picking up the pieces. God is enough for the single mom and the full family. We serve a God who is for us and for them at the exact same time. And the good news of this all is that no matter who you are or what you've done or what you've been through, God is for you. And he's for me. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in the world we live in and the stuff we do that we somehow buy into this thought that God is only for us and he's only for our thought process and he's only for the way we think or the way we act and the way we respond. But do you know that God is bigger than you? God is bigger than just America? Scripture says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, not that for God so loved the U.S. Now, I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. Just don't get it twisted. God is for us and them at the same time. He's bigger than our ideologies. He's bigger than our differences. He's bigger than anything we may be facing. And I think sometimes for you and I, we get so caught up in pointing out the differences we have with people that we miss out that God is for us and for them at the same time. God loves every single one of us because he created us and he desires for his creation to not argue and backbite with one another the entire time. He desires for you and I to walk in unity with his spirit. But unity is not uniformity. It's not that we're all gonna look the same or live the same or think the same way. That would make you and I robots. No, instead, God has uniquely placed us in what's called the body of Christ, which is made up of both Jews and Gentiles, people who are black and white, Hispanic, every ethnicity, every tribe and tongue. We are the body of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verse 14. It says this, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we can be unified. But we live in a world that's trying to find unity in every other thing other than Jesus. And the only way that you and I, with our different backgrounds, with our different upbringings, become one is that we recognize that the walls of hostility were torn down between us only when Christ died for us. That's how we become one. We become one in Christ because the body is made up of different parts and different functions and different members. So we can become one only when we identify and recognize that Jesus has died in our place. And it wasn't because we deserved it or earned it. It It's because of his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. And so with the last 16 minutes and 22 seconds I have, I'm going to give you three things that I think we can do to really embrace the fact that God is for us and for them. 
And the first thing is that we need to stop building walls that Christ tore down. I love that passage in Ephesians, that when Jesus died, he tore down the walls of hostility between us. I think some of us spend too much time rebuilding walls that Jesus already died to tear down. And not only that, but do you know this? A wall only goes up when you participate in the building of it. Just because somebody else is building a wall doesn't mean you have to. We're people who build bridges, not walls. You and I were never designed to build barriers that keep people out. In fact, if you look back in Scripture, people talk all the time, like, I want to live like Jesus, and, you know, I want to flip tables, right? I want to get, I'm going to get angry, and then when I get angry, Jesus flipped tables, and we use that as like a, uh, an example to justify anger or frustration. But do you know why Jesus flipped tables? It's because there were people who had set up these merchant tables in the temple, and it wasn't because he was mad that there was some retail businesses that were trying to operate inside of his temple. The way that the temple was set up, where they set up their tables, kept people on the outside from coming in. So they were blocking access to his temple, and Jesus flips tables because he says, there is no blocked access to me. There is no way, there's no barrier, there's no obstacle that stands between me and people. I died for every single person. So what you and I need to do is stop participating in the building of walls. Don't build walls, build a bridge. Allow God to use your life in such a way that when people see you, when people, they, they realize that you are just making a way for them to encounter Jesus. We live in a world that just wants to Talk about our differences and how we're, no. Let's talk about unity in Jesus. Let's talk about how Jesus died for every single one of us. You know, the other day I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw on my timeline, there's a person who had, you know, we'll just insert random opinion that really doesn't matter here. And at the end of it, it said, and if you don't agree with me, You can unfriend me now. And I was like, that's petty, you know? (laughs) But here's what that is. That's building a wall. That's throwing a stake in the ground for something that's not worth throwing a stake in the ground for. And I I think sometimes God would look at us and say, is that really a wall worth building? Like some of us on social media, some of us in our workplace, we're doing everything we can to tell people about how different we are. But is that a wall worth building? Stop building walls that Christ tore down. Second thing is this, go to them, not fight against them. Go to them, not fight against them. Do you notice even though Jesus was doing miracles on the other side of the lake, he didn't send out mailers or flyers telling people how awesome the event was at the other side of the lake. He chose to get in the boat and go to the people. The great commission that God has invited each of us into is not one that says, come to what we're doing. It's one that says, let's go to where they are. Where the broken people are, where the hurting people are, where the people we disagree are. If you'll let God, he'll leverage your life to reach the very people that you dislike currently. That's the whole story of Paul. I don't have time to get into that. But go to them. That's the part of 
the Great Commission. And in fact, when we look at Scripture, uh, Scripture gives us two primary like tools, resources, um, or job descriptions for what we are. It's soldier and ambassador. Those are two, soldier and ambassador. And when we're talking about soldier, it talks about being about the king's business and that we are soldiers against harmful ideologies and ambassadors or ministers of reconciliation. So we are for people. We're soldiers against ideologies and ambassadors for people. But I think in the world we live in, we flipped them, where we've become ambassadors of our ideologies and soldiers against people. And that's not to be the case. If God is for people, you have to be for people as well. So don't spend your time fighting against them. Lean into what God has for you to use you in a powerful way. It's one of the reasons why you'll never hear me from this platform talk about negative things around Mount Pleasant. Because only a fool would curse the ground that God has called him to plant in. So you and I have to be people who choose to be intentional about the way we speak over them, not to fight against them, but to go to them. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. He says, go, leave the comfort, leave the safety, leave all that stuff and go out into the world. And when you go into the world, here's what you're going to encounter. The world. You're going to encounter brokenness and you're going to encounter hurting people. You're going to encounter people who don't look like you or think like you. Your job is not to fix them. It's just to preach the good news to everyone. Because you don't have to clean fish. You just have to cast the net. That's the call of the believer. And that's why even when we talk about going into all the world, that's why you'll hear me talk about how we have a heart to plant a life-giving church in every small town across North Carolina, that we want to see God do amazing things. We're not just going to tell other cities or other towns, come to us. We're going to make the decision to go to them and be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's why, here's my prayer, by this time next year, we have a second location in Locust. It's about 15, 20 minutes away. Why? Because we don't want them to just come to us. We want to go to them. We want to be the hands and feet of Jesus and go out into the world and preach the good news to everyone. Because until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, the mission of the church is not over. We can't just sit back. We got work to do. So let's stop just building walls and let's go out into the world. And here's the third thing. It's the last one I've got. Invite them, whoever they are, to experience God with you. Now, last week we talked about friends and we talked about groups. And if you're if you haven't got connected to a groups grouper grouper, that's a fish. <laughs> if you haven't got connected to a group yet, you still have time to do that. They're kicking off this week, so you should take advantage of that. It's gonna be incredible. But we talked about friends and we talked about your inner circle and and I'm not telling you that 
You need to fill your inner circle with people who are not moving the same direction as you. But for some of us, it's been a long time since we've had a conversation with somebody we didn't like or didn't agree with. And the whole goal of that was that they would experience God or grow in their relationship with him. Most of the time, the goal is that we prove to them how right we are and how wrong they are. When I say invite them to experience God with you, I'm saying like invite them to coffee. Invite them to your small group. Even just take the second to invite them to church. One of the reasons why we invite people to church is is not because we, we think that like church changes somebody. It's because we believe that Jesus changes people. And if they can get into the environment long enough, if they can get enough exposure to his goodness and his grace and his mercy, if they can see that God's people aren't weird and they don't bite each other, you know, like they're not backbiting. Some of y'all do bite, right? But like, if they can figure out that, man, maybe this looks a little different than something I've experienced before, then they can see our good deeds and glorify God for it, that they would encounter Jesus in such a way that it would change them. We don't have to change anybody. We just get to set the table and allow them to experience God for themselves. That's the power of John chapter four, where Jesus has this encounter with the woman who, um, well, she was trifling, right? Like, I don't know how else to say it. She, Jesus offers her living water and says, you don't have a bucket. And Jesus says, I've got a gift in store for you. She says, I'll take the water. And Jesus says, well, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. You surely tell the truth when you say you don't have a husband. Like it was one of those mic drop moments. She goes, sir, you're a prophet. (laughs) She realized that God knew everything that she had ever done and yet still chose to offer her this gift. That's the beauty of salvation is that God knows everything we've done. He knows everything we've been through and still offers us this beautiful gift. And then scripture says that she left her water jars behind and she went into the towns telling them everything that the Lord had done. And when she comes back, she brings thousands of people. And John chapter four, verse 42 says, it's from the perspective of the people. It says, now we believe not just because of what we've heard, but because we've experienced him ourselves. That's the power of your invitation is that you can tell people about Jesus all day, but when they experience him for themselves, that's where life change happens. And so we invite people to church, we invite them into our life. And look at what Acts 15, 19 says. It says, it's in my judgment therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I pray that we stay a church that doesn't make it difficult for new people to turn to Jesus. That we create the opportunities, that we make it easy, that the environments are structured in such a way 
that from the moment they enter the parking lot, our goal is that they encounter Jesus. We don't make it difficult. We don't make it complicated. And we quit prematurely disqualifying people because we say to ourselves, oh, well, like, well, like, you, you know they cuss, right? It's like, yeah, here's the good news. Jesus will talk to them about that. Oh, man, they, you know, they still do drugs and they still drink. Hey, here's good news. Jesus will talk to them about that. I don't have to have the responsibility of disqualifying somebody from experiencing God's grace because the reality is I didn't deserve it either. And neither did you. None of us deserved it because it's not based on our works or our efforts. We serve a God who is for us and them at the same time. So let's be a house that lives that way. That we're not just a church that spends all of our time fighting people on social media. No, we're going to believe God is enough for us and for them. And we're going to get unified on the fact that Jesus Christ died for every single one of us. And if we really believe, I'm hearing a lot of Christians talk about, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. He's coming back soon. He's coming back soon. I'm I don't really know where I'm at with that. But here's what I will tell you. If you really believe he's coming back soon, it ought to motivate you a little differently than it is. If you really believe he's coming back and you know that you have friends or family members in your life that are not ready for his return, then man, you ought to live your life different. You ought to live it in service to the one who died for you and sets you free for eternity. That should be the way we live our lives. We talked about being for us and for them, but salvation is not a communal thing. It's not a community thing. God is for you. And he's for you so much that he would choose to live a sinless life. And just like that guy in Mark 5 who was demon-possessed and stuck in an addiction, stuck in bondage and brokenness, Jesus rolls up onto the shore to bring him freedom. But it first happens when his knee bows before Jesus. And so for just a moment, I want to create the space and the opportunity for some of you in here today. You may say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I've been trying to get my life right. I've been trying to put it all together, but I've been doing this on my own. And I know that Jesus Christ came to die for me so that when I encounter him, I can actually have freedom. It's not by your works or your efforts. It's receiving his power through grace today. And if you'd say, hey, that's me. I need to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. With every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just lift your hand for a moment and say, hey, that's me. I see that. Here's what we're gonna do, church. Nobody prays alone, we all pray together. Will you repeat this after me? Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for checking out this week's message. 
If you made any decisions for Jesus or you need a next step or have a prayer request, let us know by going to www.propel.church/hub. That leads you to our digital connect card where you can fill out all of that information as well as see what we have coming up here at Propel. Thank you again for tuning in and we hope to see you again soon.